Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. are in Ephesians. So you can open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. After uh, three, we had... Uh, we had three chapters here in, in this letter from Paul to the Ephesians that were, I guess I would describe them as kind of building up the people who are reading this letter, reminding them or informing them of who they are in Christ, the position they inhabit or occupy as members of Christ's body, stressing uh, just how immense the Father, uh, our Father God's love is for us. You know, there are two prayers that, that basically revolve around this, about how the eyes of your understanding would be open, that you would understand what is the height, the breadth, the length, uh, the depth of the love of God, that you would know his power, uh, the power of his might working in your life. Just all this, I mean, you read these first three chapters, and it's just this, wow. Just if you, if you didn't get it before, you surely would get it, that this is not just a, well, we started to live this way. We started to follow a certain religion. There's a transformation in terms of who we are that God has worked in us if we have experienced the new birth. And then in chapter 4, where we, we, we began a couple weeks ago, he starts his, therefore, since all of these things are true, in light of these glorious truths, here is what our lives ought to look like. And starts... By writing about unity, gentleness, humility. Then he writes about the ministry gifts and their purpose. Let's read that part again very quickly in chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, and so on. It goes on several more verses, and it's all one sentence. But uh, I didn't want to read through all that so we'd get lost uh, as we went on because what I wanted you to see is that, that the ministry gifts are for the equipping of the body. They are to edify you, to equip you to do the work of the ministry. The ministry gifts, the apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, pastors, are not the ones who are called to do the work. They're the ones who are equipped to equip you to do the work. Amen? So who are the ministers in here? Who are the workers of ministry? Everybody. Everybody raise your hand. And say, I'm a minister. I'm a minister. Okay. Now, now we continue on. There's some other stuff we can come back and talk about, and we might a little bit later, but I really want to get to this. Beginning in verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, 
and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Look at the, where the responsibility lies in these things. Now, he's already made it abundantly clear, uh, not just here, but in, certainly in other letters we've read, that when we become a Christian, when we become Christians, it's not just a matter of joining a church, deciding on certain things, but there is a spiritual transformation called the new birth. Old things are passed away. You're a new creation. This is something real that God does. And yet, we know also from Scripture, but also in our lives from experience, that our thinking doesn't immediately completely change. There's an attraction to sin, the things of the world, that remains because it, it's the, what I would call the residual sin nature that inhabits the flesh. We get a new spirit, but our flesh is still the same flesh and still has its own appetites. And it's what we do with our mind that's going to determine if we walk in the flesh or walk after the spirit. We talked about this back in Romans. But look at what he says here. Put off the old man and the old way of thinking and put on Christ. Put on the new man. There's a decision to make here. This, uh, this is so important because, uh, and I'm going to reference an article that uh, Mom uh, posted recently and shared it uh, with me specifically, I think, in a message um, about this idea that, uh, and, and so if, I, uh, if I think of it, I'll, I'll, I'll link it, I'll, I'll link the article in an email to, to all you guys. But many of you may have seen it, Brett McCracken wrote it about uh, this idea that the new goal, sort of the, the bright, shining thing that, that, all, uh, that a certain generation of Christians is pursuing is authenticity, we be, that we be real. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. There's certainly there's a place for authenticity and reality as long as we define them correctly and biblically. Because what it has come to mean, unfortunately, is this is who I am, therefore this is who God made me. I'm not going to act any different. I'm not going to pretend to be something different. This is just me, and I'll worship God as me, and if you don't like it, that's your problem, not mine. And that if I try to change or act any differently, they call that hypocrisy. Well, I'm just pretending to be something I'm not, and pretending is wrong. It's not real. It's not authentic. So why pretend? Now, here's the great quote from this article. The whole article is pretty good, but this is this is probably the central quote. And this is uh, the author of the article is actually quoting a professor from Biola University who says, "There's this idea that to live out of conformity with how I feel is hypocrisy." Let me read that sentence again. There's this idea that to live out of conformity with how I feel is hypocrisy, but that's a wrong definition of hypocrisy. He said, to live out of conformity to what I believe is hypocrisy. To live in conformity, sorry, to live in conformity with what I believe in spite of what I feel isn't hypocrisy, it's integrity. To live in conformity with what I believe in spite of what I feel isn't hypocrisy, it's integrity. Absolutely, 100% biblical. 
Paul is not saying, if you still have predispositions for some of the things you did before you got saved, then you're not really saved. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying these things which still are going to exert an influence on your flesh, lay them aside. But I don't feel like lay them aside. I'm not talking about how you feel. Since you are a new man, since you've been called to walk a new way, you lay that down and you Put this on. But I thought God was the one that changed you. He gave you the new spirit. And your new spirit will respond to to God's spirit and God's word. But we have to decide, I am going to not do certain things. I'm not going to live a certain way. And he gives us some of the specifics. He only hints at it here. Starts talking about lewdness. Okay? giving themselves over to lewdness, work all uncleanness and greediness. He'll go on here a little bit later. But he says there's a, there is a way you are supposed to live, and you need to decide to live that way regardless of your lust, regardless of your feelings. Now, how many of you can attest to the fact that when you decide to do it, it actually does become e- easier, that you can cultivate certain appetites, and you can put certain appetites to death? Do you know what I'm talking about? We can train ourselves. Now, some say, but Scott, I have struggled with certain things for years. I get that too. We're, we're still not off the hook. There might, still, there might be a desire that you struggle with until you die, but that doesn't mean you fail. Why well, never conquered this desire? You've conquered it as long as you don't yield to it. The fact that the desire is still there does not mean you have failed. The failure is in yielding to it constantly and giving that desire, giving that appetite, lordship over your body. Okay? This goes back to Romans 12. You probably know what verse I'm going to quote here, but it's Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is where the transformation takes place. The new birth is something that happens in a moment, in an instant. But the, trans- the transformative effect, what we might call sanctification, is a process of learning to think differently. Bringing our mind into conformity with our recreated spirit and putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Let's read on, because I'm getting hungry. Therefore, verse 25, putting away. Here we go again. There's a, there's a decision there. It doesn't say since lying disappeared. It says put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. I can still remember, man, this is way back in between Raymond and Canaan land. We're having a Bible study or a small group out at Good's house. And we were talking about this passage there. And, and there, was this, there was a question in the guide that said, what are the three commands in this verse? And I'm like, says, don't sin and don't let the sun go down on your anger. What's the third command? And Daryl said, it's be angry. Like, wow, there's kind of a command to be angry there. And it always just kind of stuck with me, be angry. It's, can we be angry and not sin at the same time? Absolutely. He's not saying you can't be angry. He's saying you can be angry, be angry about the right things, be angry in the right way, but don't let it turn into sin and don't let it consume you. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. So, uh, yes, uh, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good that he might have something to give to him who has need. 
Uh, I always have to tell this little, this is just kind of funny. It doesn't really have anything to do with anything. There they are. Sorry, they've been sitting down here the whole time. It's driving me nuts. There's, uh, as many of you know, perhaps most of you, the Greek language doesn't have punctuation in it like we have punctuation in ours. So the translators, in addition to translating words, have to translate sentences and figure out where one sentence starts or stops and another one begins. And uh, somebody, obviously as a joke, took that passage there and, and rendered it this way. Let him who steals, sorry, let him who stole steal. No longer let him labor working with his hands. Context. Context is the key to translation, right? So there, here's, here's a nice specific way that we live out the, the new life, that we, that we allow our minds to be renewed. If you're a thief and you come to Christ, and listen, how many of you know people? have known people. It's kind of weird. There's certain things that we talk about. Yeah, everybody struggles with. Everybody struggles with that. Uh, but, and, and some people, you may have stolen something as a kid, and you were overcome with remorse. But have you ever known somebody who just stealing is what they do? They just, they steal to steal? It's like they can't help it? The, 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 these are people that really exist, and people who, uh, uh, who, who acquire this, these skills and, and, uh, uh, desires for a lifetime. There was a guy. Oh my goodness! Uh, one of the he was one of the older students at Canaan Land, who was a uh, he was a, a drug addict, and and like many of these guys, the trouble he got in legally was not necessarily for having drugs, but for stealing or committing crimes in order to pay for drugs. And this guy was a very famous thief in the uh, Montgomery uh, area. Because his M.O. was to show up at houses in the middle of the day, broad daylight. He would simply pull up, walk in through the front door, because he said during broad daylight, 99% of people don't have their doors locked. Some people leave the house unlocked, and sometimes there's only one person home. Uh, and so they, they literally, he would just walk in the front door without even finding out if anybody was home. He said sometimes there's a housewife. She's there doing the dishes. He would walk in, unplug the TV, and carried out to his car. And by the time this person realized what was happening, he was gone. Because they're looking like nobody would, he, they didn't see him sneaking in. He didn't break. He didn't break in. He just walked in like he, like he belonged there. And so while she's processing it, did somebody call a repairman? Is this that? He would just walk in and just take this stuff. And he did this hundreds of times. He just got used to it. And so this was just kind of his, his MO. And, and this began to manifest itself in ways even after he graduated Canaan land. The stories I won't go into. But there's some people who just don't think a thing about it. But it's a character issue. It is, it is a, a matter of, uh, oh, who, I cannot remember who the author was that pointed this out. It might have been Chesterton. Uh, I heard it quoted by, by Ravi more than once, but I read it somewhere. I made Chesterton or possibly... Uh, uh, Muggeridge, but he was talking about you know, pe- the, the refusal to acknowledge sin as an entity in you know, modern psychology, that they began to redefine sin as simply a character flaw or a lack that could be amended or addressed simply by educating people. If people just knew better, if we gave them more tools, more opportunities, then people wouldn't turn to crime versus the Christian position, which is it's people's sin that drives them to sin. It's, it's, not, it's not outside circumstances. And so uh, they, the, the, the response to this was, if you send a thief 
to prison for stealing parts of a railroad track. And while he's in prison, you educate him to address this. When he gets out of prison, he will steal the whole railroad, railroad track. All you, you learn how to educate him, and he just gets better at what he does. But you're not addressing the core uh, character flaw, which is sin. So, uh, let him who steals, steal no longer. That's easy for me to read, and it's easy for most of you to read. But for somebody who has been stealing for a lifetime, this could be as transformative or as challenging as you can't cuss anymore. Don't date an unbeliever. You can't have sex outside of marriage. These are all besetting sins that hundreds of thousands, millions of people struggle with and have to wrestle with when they get to these commands in Scripture. Let him who steals, steal no longer. Rather, let him labor, working with his hands what is good. Why? That he may have something to give him who has need. This is another thing. When we talk about giving and receiving, we talk about um, generosity. Some people's response is, uh, I just don't need a lot. I don't need to work. I'll just do the bare minimum to get my bills paid. I live simply. This is not what Paul's talking about. He doesn't say work with his hands so that you have enough. You work with his hands so that you can be generous to other people in need. You, you earn what you can, not what you think you need. Let no corrupt word, verse 29, proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. Again, what's the whole point of speaking a certain way? Is it to bless you? No, it's to build others up. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Now, this is all challenging enough. You see what he's saying? The things he's coming against largely are just what we would call nastiness. Some people have a personality that makes them very unpleasant because they can't say anything kind. These are habits too. People who are raised hearing nothing but negative talk, that's what, they, that's what comes out of them. And Paul's saying, you have got to arrest this. Now, God will change you. This can be an absolute heart change. Meanwhile, there's not an excuse. Don't say anything malicious. Don't be constantly critical. What your goal needs to be when you are together is to speak things that are going to encourage, edify, build people up. And I have a vested interest in this because the stronger you are, the better it is for me because we are all one body. So we make these, this concerted effort to speak good, to speak life, to speak edification in every situation. No bitterness, no wrath, no anger, clamor, evil speaking. Put those things away. Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving. Now this is, again, I'm not dismissing how difficult this can be for some people. And so when we're faced with this, it's like, yeah, that's a, that's a challenge. I need to be nicer. I need to be kinder, more tender-hearted. I need to be more, more others-centered, others-focused, be building people up. But when you read this stuff, I mean, you could read this stuff to uh, an atheist, 
and there'd be, they'd be hard-pressed to find anything uh, difficult about, you know, anything they couldn't embrace there. They might want to leave Jesus out of it, but how, how, how are you going to argue with being encouraging, build people up, being tender-hearted? In fact, a lot of atheists would say, yeah, I don't need, we all should be that way, but we shouldn't need God for that. It's all pretty palatable, is what I'm saying. And so for people who want to be saved, who at least who have come to the, the knowledge of God, God has revealed himself, and they know they need a Savior, I always want to stress this, you know, God will meet you where you are. I think he's made salvation easy on purpose, but we should go into it with our eyes open. That we go into this, we are submitting to a Lord, and he has the absolute authority to demand certain things of us. And so when we read this, well, this is what God's going to require of me when I get saved. And I realize I can be a nasty person. I can be a selfish person. Not everything that comes out of my mouth is edifying. But this is what he wants. I am willing to make that effort because I appreciate, I have a deep appreciation for the work he did to save me. You know what? I can work on my tongue. I can be kind. I can be tenderhearted. But where we will go next week, you see, things are going to start to get real. The things here are challenging enough, but it's going to get tougher. He's going to say, also this, also this. We are going to get, as I heard one great preacher say one time, down to brass facts tax. <laughs> I, won't t- I won't tell you who that was unless you ask me in private. You think, we, keep, we read this, and again, three chapters of encouragement, three chapters of edification, three chapters of building us up to realize what's available. And then Paul says, so here, therefore live this way. Be gentle, be kind, be unified, speak well of one another. Don't be angry, don't be, don't be malicious, don't be evil, don't be mean. Be gentle, be kind-hearted. Yeah, this is it. This is what Christianity looks like. And he's going to open up in chapter 5 now about, also means this. Oh, because sometimes if, we're, if we are generally a nice person and we recognize, well, I'm generally a nice person, but it doesn't mean nothing bad ever comes out of my mouth, then we can see this challenge to speak highly of one another as a challenge, but certainly not insurmountable. And then sooner or later, we're going to bump into something that is a challenge for us. And Paul keeps making us realize that, oh, this isn't just a matter of improving our speech, eliminating curse words. This is a matter of being transformed. What he's going to start talking about is walking in the light. That what we are surrounded with is not just people who act differently, but people who are walking in blindness, in darkness. And that what we bring into that situation, into these circumstances, into these relationships, is not just a different way of speaking, but actual light, God's light. And that we will not be, that we are called specifically not to have fellowship with the deeds of darkness. I'm giving you a preview. We'll expand on this next week, but I want you to already get that into your head. He's not saying you cannot fellowship with people who are walking in darkness. You simply can't share in the deeds of darkness. It is by uh, being in relationship, in friendship, fellowship with people who are in darkness that we bring light into their situation. It says don't have fellowship with these deeds, but rather expose them. 
Does that mean hold these people up? Uh, Don't be like this person. Look what they're doing. They're evil. No, you expose their deeds for what they are by bringing light into their darkness. This is not just about you. It's about how your relationship with Christ can be a transforming relationship for somebody else simply by the light that you carry. But it will not have that effect if we do not on purpose walk in that light. This is a decision. It's not something that just happens magically when we get saved. Stand up with me. You need to know that even though the emphasis in this message has been you've got to decide, you've got to make these decisions, you've got to make these changes, you've got to submit to these things, that still go back to the first three chapters and rest and rejoice in the fact that everything Paul, that God is commanding us through Paul to do here, he has already empowered us to do. That should be abundantly clear when we go back and read those first three chapters. Anything he is telling me to do, he has made abundantly available to do. Made power abundantly available to do. I can do it because God told me to do it. He does it and he's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all I can ask or think. And so when we come up against something like that, it's something that's hard. And some of the stuff we talked about today is hard. What's one of the first things we should do? Go to God and say, God, this is the way I want to be. Why do I want to be that way? Because you want me to be that way. And you want to use me to change other people's lives. God, I'm being honest with you. I'm being authentic. I'm having a hard time being that way. Fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. And remind me daily, even minute by minute, that I can change the way that I speak, the way that I think, the way that I treat other people. I say, I declare in Jesus' name in agreement with your word that I am walking in the light, that people will see Jesus in me, and that my life will not only change for, for, to improve my relationship with you, but my life will change so that you can use me to change other people's relationship with you. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.